Amen. How's everybody doing? Awesome. Hey, uh, we're continuing our summer sermon series. You guys can have a seat. Yeah. Um, you called, you asked for it. And I do want to clarify real quick, just as we jump into this, some of you may not know, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to hit some hard-hitting subjects. Um, hard-hitting subjects that most people uh, don't like to talk about, or if we do talk about it, it becomes very controversial. And please hear me out when I say this, is that, uh, you know, this whole idea of you asked for it was to ask questions that you feel like maybe are coming up in society or maybe you're seeing run uh, headlong into in, in the current circumstances and situation you're at. And one of the things that we have to talk about, and we may or may not like to talk about it, is sex. Sexuality, sex, and, and so we're going to come at it from a number of different ways because the, the question that was submitted was, can I be a believer and, uh, and steal or still struggle, or can a homosexual be a believer and, and get to heaven? And now, I think there's a lot that goes to that. So before we even go into that subject or situation um, or setting, I want to deal with what it means to live on or in purity, right? What it means to be a person who lives in a holy relationship. Now, Sex or sexuality is one of those things that a lot of times people are like, well, I don't know that the church really should be talking about it. Or when the church does talk about it, or let me clarify, when the pastor talks about it, people are like, well, I just don't agree with you. So here's what I want you to understand. Everything that we talk about here will be backed by Scripture, right? Okay? It's not, and, and, and here's the other thing I also want you to understand, that no matter what you've been through in the past, no matter what you've struggled through, no matter what you've gone through, no matter the sins that you've lived in, there is grace at the cross. So when you hear me speak, one of the things I want to be very clear on is this, that we always want to communicate the truth of the gospel with great grace. Because Jesus says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? And, and, and the wages of sin is death. So all of us have, have walked through these circumstances. All of us have dealt with these situations in some way, shape, or form. And listen, today as we talk about this idea of, of, of clarity on purity, I want us to understand that purity is the priority in our lives or should be the priority in our lives. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be dealing with some of these hard-hitting, controversial topics. And keep in mind that I don't believe they are social, they're not social or political issues, but rather biblical issues. While the media or our society says they're social and political issues, I believe they are biblical issues. As a matter of fact, sex is one of the most powerful drives in life. I don't know if you've ever heard it said, but they say that, that the, the endorphins that are released in the brain uh, when, when sexual activity takes place is actually seven times more addictive uh, than your highest, most potent drug. Most people don't understand this, is that when we deal with addiction, whether it's, it's, it's drug and alcohol abuse or whether it's pornography and things like that, that the addiction is one of the hardest to overcome. Men and women face some of the fiercest struggles, I believe, at this point. When sex is out of control, it leads to some of the greatest personal and social problems faced in humanity. And here's what's crazy. In today's world, everybody says this. Stay out of my choices, stay out of my life, stay out of the decisions, and let me do what I want to do. But please hear me out when I say this. I don't believe we want Hollywood or the government telling us what is right. Rather, we need a foundation of truth and the truth of sexuality and morality built upon the biblical principles that we see. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But I want you to understand this point. 
how we deal with these issues and the people or, or people within ourselves, with our own church who struggle with them, I believe is key. When we respond with grace, when we let our words be full of salt and full of grace to encourage and build up, but yet at the same time to be built upon the truth of God's word, then we're able to, I believe, speak into somebody's life. We live in a hyper-sexualized society that is screaming at the top of its lungs, go for it, just do it. If it feels right, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. And what I believe is this, we said this from that standpoint, Judges chapter 17, verse six. When we approach things with that mentality, what we see is what Judges 17 talked about. In those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. Now, it's important for us to understand that as we jump into this. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 12, and I want to uh, just read through it, and then I'm going to give you some, 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 uh, some history behind the city of Corinth and the church at Corinth. So starting in verse 12, it says this, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will also, or will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Everybody say Christ himself. All right. Shall I then take members of Christ, or the members of Christ, and unite them with a prostitute? Now, before you flip out, Okay, what I want you to understand is the, the strict words that are going to be coming up based upon the context of what's going on in, in, in Corinth. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Then verse 18 says this, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, here's the reality, and here's what we begin to understand or we need to unpack as we kind of dig into this, this idea of what it means to be or to, to be clear on purity in our lives, on holiness in our lives. If you know anything about the Old Testament, one of the things you know all throughout was that in the beginning when, when people would meet with God, they had these altars, and where God did some great work, these altars were set up, and at those altars, that's where they would make a sacrifice, and the sacrifice was always meant to be something that was holy. It was always meant to be something that was unblemished. It was always meant to be something that did not have any defect or flaw in it. And those altars were set up, and at those altars, they would name places. They would have certain areas, so when the people would cross into a certain area, they might experience some things. But then after, after, after being taken off into the Exodus, so you see Genesis, these altars are set up. After the Exodus, where they were in exile and slavery to the Egyptians for over 400 years, and they're released, and they, as they're released, they go out into the wilderness. As they begin to go out in the wilderness, they're told to set up this thing called the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, it would be the place where worship would take place. But in the tabernacle, there was this place called the Holy of Holies. 
And in the Holy of Holies, the priest would only go in, the high priest would only go in once a year where he would make the sacrifice, the Day of Atonement, for all the people of Israel. And it was a covering, right? And that covering was just to, to, to release the people, to, to cover over the sins that had been, had been committed over that year. And they, they would do that. And then after the tabernacle, there was the temple that was built. David started it, Solomon finished it. And then the temple was set up in the same way, in a likewise fashion, where it was a holy place, where God dwelled with his people. But the sacrifices would take place as a result. And it all points us to this picture. It all points us to this picture of the importance of the temple. And here's what's crazy in the Christian life for for many people today is we don't realize or recognize or remember that you and I are temples. See, here's what would happen. When those sacrifices, if they were blemished, if they were unholy, if there was any sin in them, then those sacrifices would be null and void. As a matter of fact, the person who offered that sacrifice would be struck down. And you're like, whoa, wait a second. Holy cow, you're getting pretty serious here. But What we have to understand from a biblical perspective is the importance of holiness in the life of sacrifice because Romans chapter 12 says this, therefore, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, right? And then he says, as a result of that, right? When he unpacks that, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then and only then will you be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, as we jump into this, please hear me out when I say this. It's important for us to understand what takes place here because we are called to be or we are to be. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God dwells with you. God dwells in you. And the holiness that takes place there in, in, in the situation where the Holy Spirit is in you, there is to be a holiness that we are to approach him with because we don't want to unite the Holy Spirit with sin. We don't want to unite God with sin because those two things can't coexist. And so the question I ask or the question I wanted to ask based upon this is why do I need to be sexually pure? Now, Let me clarify real quick, too, because I believe that there are some who probably would sit back and go, man, I screwed up a long time ago, and there's no way back. And while there may be no way back to what we would call the, the beginning or the start, please hear me out that I believe Scripture is very clear. There is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ. Regardless of what you've done in the past, Jesus always will forgive you of your sins if you confess your sins, because he is faithful and just to forgive us of any and all unrighteousness when we confess that. And so you can have a past that's checkered. You can have a past that you can sit back and go, man, people just wouldn't begin to understand what I've been through, and I don't know that God could ever forgive me. And what I want you to understand is that's why the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, because that sin is not any worse than any other sin. But what the problem is, is oftentimes we try to clarify that it's worse. But what I want us to see is the importance of holiness. So why do we need sexual purity in our lives. And please hear me out. I believe that this, this covers everything from pornography to affairs to adultery to even 
the idea of adulterous thoughts. And so if you remember anything, I want you to remember this today, that sexual purity was established by God for us to experience the abundant life God offers without the broken mess. You get that part? That sexual purity was established by God for us to experience the abundant life that God offers without the broken mess. Now, some of you may be like, oh, I've already got the mess part, bro. Right? That's, that's my life. You're describing it. And again, it may be pornography. It may be all kinds of things that you sit back and say, hey, this is the struggle. But what I want us to see is there is a way to defeat, to walk away from, and to turn that over. So why do we need sexual purity? Number one is this, because the church, keep in mind, the church is to be different. Now, who's the church? People, right? Like oftentimes it's always like, well, the church, you know, it's the church, the church, the church is the people. The church is to be different. In other words, the people of the body of Christ are to be different from everybody else. There is a call to purity within our lives because we are to be different. We are to be set apart. We are to be holy. The Bible is very clear. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we are not to do the things that everybody else does because we're a, a, a new creation. We have been bought. We have been purchased by Jesus Christ. The church is to be different. Now, listen to what he says. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. In other words, there's some freedom here that you can be a part of, but listen, it's not always beneficial. And what I want us to understand is that God created this idea of sex. God created the beauty of it. Matter of fact, it says that when he created us, he formed and fashioned man and woman into unique images so that we could carry on and have relationships with one another because when two people come together, they become one. When a man and a woman come together, they become one. I call it fuzzy math. It's God's math. How do two become one? Well, it's kind of fuzzy. Like if you can explain math to me, which is a little complicated because I wasn't great in math, all right? So we'll just say it that way. But everything is permissible. Not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. Here's the problem with today's culture and society. We are okay allowing things to master us. Like we'll say things like this. Well, I was just born that way. Just going to have to deal with it. No? The Bible says that you were born a sinner and I was born a sinner, but the Bible never accepts or condones to live in sin in disobedience to what God has called us to do. So as a believer, it's important that you align your heart and your mind with what God wants to do. I want you to understand what's going on in the church of Corinth. As a matter of fact, I saw about four or five years ago, I saw a great documentary on the National Geographic about the city of Corinth. But I want you to see that 1 Corinthians was written to the local church in the city of Corinth so that when anyone, listen, any of us would think that the local church has problems or riffraff or difficulties or impurity, that we would turn to this letter. And here's the reason why. The ancient city of Corinth had a reputation for vulgar materialism and a blatant sexual immorality. And here's the reason why. Much of the wealth in the city of Corinth centered around the temple of Aphrodite. And in that temple, there were thousands of temple prostitutes. When guys would go in and worship this, 
this, this goddess, this Greek goddess Aphrodite, and they would take part in sexual relations within the temple as a form of worship to Aphrodite. And if you were to watch that, that National Geographic presentation I watched, they have unearthed these brothels that were all around the city where there were stone and concrete beds and these little tiny rooms where people would go in and have sexual relationships with the prostitutes of the temple as a form of worship, and then they would walk out. And here's what's going on in the Corinth church. They're living in immorality and impurity because they've allowed the Greek world to speak in, and they think, hey, this is an act of worship. But it's outside the bounds with which God set it up. And so Paul begins to write to the church because of these problems of immorality within the church. And please hear me out when I say this. There is grace. There is great grace from the gifts of God because God gives it to us even though we don't deserve it. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But it's important for us to unpack and understand what's going on right here. When Plato referred to a prostitute, he always used the expression, a Corinthian girl. I don't know how you feel. I, I mean, obviously living here in Independence, but when I'm like, I'm from Independence, people are like, oh. You might know what I'm talking about. Everybody's laughing and shaking your head. You're like, yeah, I got you. I know what you're talking about, right? Everybody's like, oh, Independence, right? Like, it's like, are we the redheaded stepchild? Or, I mean, I, I guess to a certain extent it is, but I want you to understand, like, what is going on in the city of Corinth? There was a vulgar materialism that no matter what it took, a matter of fact, as I watched that National Geographic documentary, I'll never forget when they talked about how a lot of the high up government officials and stuff were involved in that temple worship and, and the rings. And to a certain extent, it would kind of be like sex trafficking of today. Like they would coerce these girls into being temple prostitutes because they thought it was a way of earning the acceptance and the approval of Aphrodite and that they would have a great family and a great sexual life from that point on. See, the spirit of the world seemed to more influence the Corinthian church than the spirit of God did. So Paul writes this letter. And here's what I want to ask us as a church. Do we allow the spirit of the world to influence us more than we allow the spirit of God? Because the Bible is very clear on where we are to line up with this. Purity is of utmost importance. See, Paul writes this letter, I believe, to make our positional sanctification practical. Do you guys understand what I just said? Good, no, I'm going to explain it. It's our position in Christ and the ongoing work of sanctification, in other words, purity, that he wants to cleanse us of day in and day out. So there's justification that when Jesus died on the cross, and I've placed, I believe that, I confess it, I confess with my mouth, he's Lord, I've, I've repented of my sins, that's my justification. I've been justified in Christ. But sanctification is the ongoing work of God working in our lives to cleanse us and remove us from it, of any and all unrighteousness. So sanctification is the ongoing work, day in and day out, of God using the gospel to change me from the inside out. Justification, I've been justified once. Once I'm justified, I am in the body of Christ. I am with Jesus, and he is with me, and I have the Holy Spirit living in me. But listen, sanctification is the ongoing work, and here's what he's talking about. You have to understand your positional sanctification, and I want to make it practical for you. Church in Corinth, the church in Corinth shows a testimony to the power of God and the gospel at work in the lives of sinful people. 
That's why in 1 Corinthians, you see all these problems. There's lawsuits among each other. In other words, they got a problem. You think problems are bad when like, people fight within church? Like this church was so bad, people were getting up like, fine, I'll sue you. I'll take you to court. And Paul begins to unpack all of these problems because the world had so influenced the church at Corinth and not the Spirit of God. So number one, why do we need sexual purity? Because we are called to be different. We are his body. I want you to look at that in verse 15. He says this, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? If you were to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or Romans chapter 12, where it talks about we are all part of the body of Christ, each one of us is a member. In other words, we are a portion of what the body plays out. Some of us are fingers and others of us like me are mouths, right? But we all have a part to play within the body of Christ. So it's important for us to understand the reason we are to be sexually pure is because we are a part of the body of Christ. Number two, why do we need to be sexually pure? Because your body is his temple. I go right back to what I just said earlier. When we talk about this idea of your body being the temple, it's important for us to understand what plays out there, what that means. Because the temple was set aside for holy things. The temple was set aside for unblemished things. The temple was set aside with, with, with no flaws or no faults within the lambs and the goats that would be slaughtered and sacrificed to the Lord. Those were very things that were set up. And it's important for us to understand that we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. So number one, we offer our body as a living sacrifice. In other words, I say, listen, not my will, but yours, Lord, number one. Number two, I say, God, whatever it is that you're calling me to do, then I guess you're going fu- to fulfill it. Can I tell you one of the biggest lies of the world right now? If it feels good, do it. There are lots of things that feel good. Doesn't mean you do it. Everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. Like, I mean, there's points and times in my life where I'm like, man, it sure would feel good to knock somebody out. I mean, let's be honest. When anger is rising to the top in your head and you feel like you're just going to blow, you'd be like, man, it sure would feel good. Sure would feel good to have a million dollars. Doesn't mean I'm just going to go out and do whatever the heck it is to, to get it. All of those things are these ideas that creep into the minds of the church when we allow, listen, just like we talked about last week, when we allow the yeast of the Pharisees, in other words, those who are on the outside, to speak in and to begin to communicate not truth, but ideology. See, sex is a beautiful gift when practiced properly. Sex is good. It is a gift from God. It's enjoyed on the highest level when it's shared within the confines of a faithful and committed marriage between a man and his wife. Beliefs and behavior matter in our lives. James talks about that consistently. If the high priest would have brought an unholy sacrifice or a blemished lamb, it was a bad offering, and I can guarantee you that high priest would have been struck down. That's why they always tied a rope to their ankle, because if there was any impurity at all in the way they approached the thing, if there was a blemished lamb, they always took the utmost importance to make sure it was unblemished, it was pure, it was not tainted in any way. I always look at it this way. If I had a jar of water here, 
and I had a tiny little bit of arsenic right next to it. I got pure water. And I said, well, I'm just going to take a little bit of arsenic. I'm going to drop it in there. How many would drink it? I mean, okay, so I have a jar of water, but then I got more jars of water, and I start to pour it out, and I begin to pour it into other things, right? How many of you would still drink it or would think about drinking it? I mean, you have to understand that that water is tainted. It's poisoned. It's bad. It's got problems. And yet that's oftentimes how we want to approach our lives. Well, it's just a little bit. And we wonder why marriages fail. We wonder why we don't have a priority in what's going on in our lives when it comes to sexuality. We wonder why when the world says, if it feels great, do it, but yet the world's marriages are failing left and right. It's important for us to understand the standards, and there's a standard that we begin to understand when we see this standard played out, when we live by this standard, then we experience the abundant life God talks about us or promises to us. I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Nobody ever plans to fail. But we fail to succeed because we fail to plan. Nobody sits out and goes, man, I want my life to be the biggest wreck it could ever be. Anybody ever sit there and go, you know what? I was 12. I was sitting down. My sixth grade teacher was thinking and talking to me. And she was teaching. And I was like, you know what? The heck with this. I'm going to make the biggest mess of my life in the world that I can. Nobody sets out to do that. But what it is, is we take an ounce or a pinch of, of arsenic and we drop it in. And we're like, oh, it's not that big a deal. And we start to act like everybody else. We start to think like what the world says instead of aligning with what Scripture says. So he says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. Please hear me out when I say this. When we talk about addictions, whether it's drug and alcohol addiction or pornography addiction or even a sexual addiction, what we have to begin to understand is you are being mastered by something. You have enslaved yourself to the very thing that is not to have control over you. And the reason is, is because it all starts with a pinch. It's just a little bit. It's not that big a deal. So your body is the temple. Listen to what Galatians chapter 5 says. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Here is the kicker. Jesus sets us free and we're to stand firm on the truth of his word and instead oftentimes we go right back to the sins and the bondage and the chains that he set us free from because that's the way we think we're going to get success. That's the way we think we're going to have great reward in this life and the problem is we end up becoming a slave to the very things that control us or master us. When scripture says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. See, for some reason, for some reason, our world, and I would even say the church in today's world, has this idea that if we just get enough of Jesus to take care of the eternity thing, that if he'll just stay out of what's going on in my daily thing, that we're going to have an abundant life. And Jesus says, that's not the way it works. This ain't a, oh, for an eternity thing, but here in the daily things, you're just going to leave me out. No. The abundant life is experienced as I walk with Jesus day in and day out. 
You know what tears my heart up is when I hear a husband and wife come in and say, listen, there's no hope. I've given up, we're given up, we're done. And the reason why it tears me up is this. Because what you've said is God can't do anything. What you've said by those words is, I'm not changing. What you've said is, I'm not forgiven. What you've said is, I quit. And Jesus while we were yet sinners, died. He didn't quit. Even in the midst of our sins, he still forgives. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of any and all unrighteousness. Why? Because he wants us to experience freedom, not bondage. But yet the very things that the world says are free... They'll free you. Your experienced life are the very things that end up being our prison. So why do we approach or why should we be sexually pure? Because sexual purity was established by God. Listen, for us to experience the abundant life God offers without the broken mess. Now, God can take that broken mess that you've created, that you have been a part of, and he can redeem it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so please hear me out when I say this. It's not this idea that you are so screwed up that you could never recover. It's this idea that the desire for purity and holiness should be of utmost priority. That's why I will tell every teenager that I ever dealt with, don't settle. You know how many girls that come into my office or even guys who would say, you know what, I really like this girl. Great. Is she a believer? No. You're settling. Well, don't you tell me how my life should be lived. Okay, fine. I'm not. I'm just telling you what Scripture says. Don't settle. Scripture says don't be unequally yoked. Scripture tells me that I should be united to another believer because an unequally yoked person will always pull you down. You're not going to pick them up. doesn't happen. And my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Now keep in mind, this is not calling somebody a prostitute. This is talking about what was going on at the temple with Aphrodite. But it's important for us to understand what takes place, that when we unite ourselves with another individual, that the two become one. That's the great math of, of sex in God's economy. He says, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in her body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. How do I defeat, how do I overcome the ideas and the thoughts and the sexual purity in my mind? It's by being united with Christ in everything, in every way and in every circumstance, so that I can defeat the very things I face. Because here's what happens in verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Somebody tell me what flee means. Yeah, get the heck out of Dodge, right? Run, sprint, run the other way, go as fast as you can, turn, run, do whatever it is. 
And it says, because all other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Here is the clarity on purity. The reason you and I are called to be pure is because we have the Holy Spirit in us. In other words, we are the temple. See, the temple in the Old Testament was a building. The temple in the Old Testament was a place where God dwelt with his people. And when Jesus died on the cross and the temple veil was torn in two, and we have this thing now called the priesthood of the believer. In other words, I can go directly to God and I can pray to him. I don't have to go to the priest. I don't go to a high priest to offer sacrifice. Jesus was the final sacrifice. Jesus was the high priest that went to the Father for us. And it's important for me to understand that the Holy Spirit now dwells in me. So purity of us is of utmost importance. And that includes in my actions or interactions within, listen, pornography is more accessible today than ever before. I remember a long time ago when I was talking about pornography to teenagers, at that point in time, the pornography industry took in more money. All you guys who complain about maybe Patrick Mahomes' $500 million uh, uh, salary, Did you know that at that point in time, the porn industry took in more money than the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, and Major League Baseball all combined? And I can guarantee it's probably gone up because cell phones make it way more easy. Because I can do it without anybody necessarily knowing. And so as a result, the purity issue begins to fade. See, we are to live holy and honorable lives. If you were to flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I'm going to read it to you just so you can understand. It says this in chapter 4, verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Remember what I talked about, the sanctified idea? It's the ongoing work of Jesus to cleanse us. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. It's important for us to understand this idea of fleeing and what this idea of passionate lust plays out. Flee is the whole idea of what Joseph did when he ran. When he ran from Potiphar's wife, he ran the opposite direction. Most likely, Potiphar's wife was probably the hottest woman in the kingdom. I'm just going to say that. There is no way a Pharaoh's going to get some ugly broad down the road. He, I can guarantee you, paid the highest price. He paid a bounty. He had that woman who was his wife, and she was probably smoking hot. And Joseph's like, not today, no way, no how, I'm out. And what we have to do is we set up the guards and the, 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 the things that can protect us in those very circumstances and situations. So he fled from sexual immorality. But listen, this idea of passionate lust that we just referenced in 1 Thessalonians, that we learn to control our own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust. Here's what passionate lust carries. It's a God-given desire that's short-circuited. You ever seen a short play out? It'll mess up whatever it is that's going on. If I have something short out, it might fry it. 
And so the idea is this, that when I allow the passionate lust to overwhelmingly overcome my body, what it's doing is it's short-circuiting the very thing that God intended for a good reason. Lust is a God-given desire that's gone haywire. In other words, it's okay to have a desire for your wife. It's okay to have a desire for another woman, but you don't act upon it until you obey what God has set up as a standard. That's called purity. Heath Lambert wrote this, and he says this in his book. It's called Lust. He says, lust never has what it wants because it never has enough. Lust steals joy by creating an endless state of discontentment in the constant search for that next thing that you don't have. Lust is never happy because lust is never full. And you may say, man, I got an insatiable lust for things because I never feel satisfied. And it's important for us to understand. Listen to what Galatians chapter 5 says, verse 17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. Here's what's playing out in your life and my life when we deal with this idea. Because number three is this. You were bought with a price. You and I were bought and purchased, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, with a price. And that price was Jesus' death on the cross. The Bible goes on to say, you are not your own. And if I'm not my own, then I am, I am the slave or the servant to something, someone. And the Bible calls us to be slaves or servants to God. In other words, I place myself at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus rules over me, and I do what he wants. But the reality is most of us allow the passionate lust to overwhelm us. And when we allow the passionate lust to overwhelm us, to overcome us, then we set ourselves up for failure because Here's what happens in Galatians chapter 6. A man reaps what he sows. And the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit from that Spirit will reap eternal life. Why do we need sexual purity? Because God desires sexual purity. Sexual purity was established by God for us to experience the abundant life that God offers without the broken mess. Listen, no one is too far gone. All of us have made mistakes. All of us have played out in some way, shape, or form, have walked into some circumstance or situation I just talked about today and you've given in. I can't tell you how hard it was to defeat pornography. I started young. I can remember at the age of five going across the street to my friend's house because his dad had playboys under the bed. And when his dad was at work and his mom might be out in the garage or something, we'd go under the bed at five years old and look. I grew up in the trucking industry around truck drivers all the time. Guess what they throw away quite often? Guess what as a kid it was like, oh, man. But pornography takes away the value that God ever set up in the first place. Because you begin to look at a woman as an object, and there's the problem in today's culture. Because we look at people as objects, as animals rather than people. We lust after a woman online, or maybe it's even a man, because pornography in women has gone through the roof. 
And we look for what we think is fulfillment and the answer to life when the reality is that's not the answer to life because all you're going to do is lust more and you find that you can never be satisfied. So it's just another hit and it's another hit and it's another hit and it's another hit and I keep going and I keep going and I keep going and I go, I don't know what just happened to my marriage because I destroyed my marriage over pornography. And God said, I know what it is. You drank a little bit of arsenic. And since you drank the arsenic, you're reaping what you sowed. When God desires purity and holiness, God desires us. Listen, again, all of this is built so that we can experience the abundant life he has. Like, I've, I've said this before, but I will stand by this. Garth Brooks' song, Sometimes I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. I'm glad he did not answer my prayers in high school. God, just de- let me date that girl. God, if I, just, if I just had that relationship with her, I believe wholeheartedly that God wants to set up boundaries in your life, and I believe he's going to do everything he can to protect. But listen, when we sow into the sinful nature, we will reap from that sinful nature. But when we sow in the Spirit of God, we will reap a benefit that leads to eternal life. Life more abundantly does not begin when the government says something or when Hollywood says this is what brings satisfaction. Life, I believe, begins, the the abundant life that Jesus talks about begins when we acknowledge him first and foremost. Here's the struggle. Here's the problem. Here's the difficulty. Because when God calls us to purity, I could stand up here and preach God's word all day, but you have to respond. God wants to change your heart. The beauty of Jesus' death on the cross, buying you, purchasing you at a price, is that you don't have the ability to pay that price. There is no good works you can do to earn God's grace. There's nothing you can give to the church that's going to get you in right standing. It's called you. It's called you giving up admitting you're a sinner, confessing those sins, turning your life over to him and saying, God, you've got to change me because deep down inside, I am a wreck. And I am not full, I am empty. And I can guarantee you right now that the Holy Spirit's probably convicting some of you because pornography has made you feel empty. Because your sexual activity has made you feel empty. Because of your brokenness and everything that you have tried to fulfill, that longing in, that hole, that God-sized hole in your heart, because of everything you've tried to put in there, you're still feeling empty. And God says, the only way you're ever going to feel life is when you experience it with me. Sheila Ray Gregor, who's written a number of books on sexual purity from a Christian standpoint, says this, your purity is not based on what you've done with your body. Your purity is based on what Jesus did with his. So please hear me out when I say this, that even though you may sit back and say, I am too far gone, there's no way God can rescue me, the reality is this, yes, Jesus says, I can make you a new creation so your purity begins today. Jesus, we thank you for the great grace that you've shown on the cross. And God, it is no easy subject to talk about this, especially in a world that says it's okay. But we thank you for the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of any and all unrighteousness when we confess them. 
And so, God, may we be people who confess our sins, who acknowledge the impurity maybe that we've run to and longed for, the emptiness that we've been trying to fill with, with outside things, with outside ideas, with worldly thoughts about sexuality and purity. God, I think of friends and family that I know whose marriages are just a disaster, or maybe they're broke and gone. They've destroyed them because of decisions they made. Lord, may you just speak to them and let them know that there is no way that you will turn your back on them. That you are faithful. That you are loving, that you are merciful, that you are gracious. And so, Lord, we pray that we would understand the importance of being pure. It's not that we will be sinless, but it's the reality that we run to you, that when we face sin, that we run to you, that when we do sin, that we confess it to you, and that, Lord, we don't give in so easily, that we take part in the battle, that we humble ourselves, that we learn to control our desires from the truth of your word and from your spirit working in us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to close with this song. As we close with this song, if you have never acknowledged Christ as your Savior, you want to talk about that? I'd love to talk with you. Don't stop here. You can grab the card in front of you. You can fill it out. You can place it in our offering plate here in just a little bit as you go. But if you want somebody also to pray for you, maybe there's some struggles, some difficulties. We start talking about taking on a broken mess. Listen to me. Jesus will take it on. Jesus will take that broken mess and make it new. He will redeem the very things that we need him to redeem. So respond today.